1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses, as you ought, and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. The word of the Lord. We begin again. We continue with our post-Easter sermon series, continuing to explore 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and what it has to say about the impact of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. We started out discovering how foundational to our faith Jesus rising from the dead actually is. And then last week, we learned that Jesus' resurrection from the dead is related, it's connected to our future resurrection from the dead. Christ has been revealed as the first of many. As he has been raised, so also those who belong to him. So a particular wise saying uh, that was uh, shared by the Apostle Paul in this particular text was in verse 33. Paul actually quotes a Greek poet named Menander who said, who wrote, bad company ruins good character. Now, we're actually going to consider another wise saying that's important to to think about when we're looking at this part of 1 Corinthians 15. But in order to get us in the right spirit and the right frame of mind to appreciate wise sayings, we are going to have a discussion uh, and share with each other something wise that your mother had to say. 
So what's a wise saying that your mother used to say? And uh, I'm sure there was one or many. Uh, And so get together with three or four people and uh, share a wise saying that you heard your mother say to you, maybe that you've remembered all of these years. And if you are watching on YouTube, I'm going to be alert to the the chat on YouTube um, and actually share some of the things that you share on there. So go ahead and turn to each other and share wise sayings that your mother said. All right, we're going to bring our attention back uh, to this moment in time. I want to share from the live chat, uh, Ron Wilmot says he remembers his mom saying, do your very best, Ronnie. Thanks, Ron, for sharing that. Um, uh, What are some things that anyone want to shout out the phrase that they remember their mom saying? Be nice to your sister. Well, I mean, that was important. There's wisdom in that, right? And that translates to uh, something that may go well with you in the future if you learned that lesson. Anyway, anyone else? No, no wise moms. Okay, I brought you into this world. I'll take you out. Okay. All right. Well, let me tell you, is that all? Anyone else want to share? Yes. Wash your face. It'll be better in the morning. Yes, one more. There we go. There we go. I knew we'd come up with something uh, in there that you would remember that is good wisdom, that you learned from your mom because your mom wants you to grow in wisdom. And, and yeah, don't, if you're not going to say anything nice, don't say anything at all, which is something I think I remember my mom saying at one point. Um, but if that's the extent of the wisdom we learned from our moms, boy, are we prepared to grow as human beings in light of God's word today, (laughs) because there is wisdom here for us. Uh, And uh, we're going to start with a wise saying that is really helpful for understanding this very detailed uh, scripture passage right in the heart of 1 Corinthians 15. And this phrase is, start with the end in mind. Start with the end in mind. This phrase is meant to motivate us to think about what we want our actions to do before we take those actions. So this is the realm of thinking about consequences for our actions. It's also thinking about the destination, the finished product that we're moving toward, that we envision, is think about that, and if you, you prepare your steps toward that goal you're more likely to hit that goal. I hear it most often in relation to, uh, as a a public speaker myself, um, in relation to composing a written or a spoken message. It's always uh, encouraged uh, to those of us who are public speakers to help people follow along with our, our sermons and our messages and our public speaking if we begin or start with the end in mind. Know what you're going to say at the very end and make sure that everything you say builds up toward that. Um, 
Its application is so universal, however, that Stephen Covey adopted it as number two in his list of the seven habits of highly effective people. He encourages people to begin with that word of wisdom every day. To begin every task or project with a clear vision of your desired destination. Because if we do that, we're more likely to reach the destination. Paul has the end in mind when he writes verses 23 and 24. He says this, But to each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. So there are three progressive stages here that Paul describes. Stage one has already happened. Those of us who have been following along with this 1 Corinthians 15, following Easter, the celebration of Jesus rising from the dead, we realize that Christ has been raised from the dead, the first of many. So stage one has happened. Stage two is when Jesus comes or Jesus returns. The Greek word here uh, for Jesus coming back is parousia. And parousia is is the Greek word that has kind of taken on an anglicized version that, that points us toward Jesus' return, his coming at the end of time. But this is the stage where Paul says the resurrection of human beings will happen. So this is when we follow. We're in the in-between time because Jesus hasn't returned yet. But that's when those who belong to Jesus will be raised from the dead. And then stage three, that's the end. When Christ's saving work is complete. So Paul is moving forward with the end in mind and, in, and encourages the Corinthians to do the same. The phrase, then the end will come, is quite profound. In Greek, the word for end is telos. And this is not simply a stopping, but the conclusion, <clears throat> excuse me, that everything has been building toward all along. Have you ever seen the words, the end, at the end of a story? At first glance, those words might simply be taken as an equivalent to, it's over, go do something else now. But there's a deeper meaning to the words, the end. The end also stands for the conclusion that the story has been building to all along. Think about this in relation to book series, where I think we can see the progression toward the end in retrospect when that book series is complete. Think of J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. Think about, when, raise your hand if you read those books when they were published, one at a time. Some of you were, were hardcore, and, and you were reading those books as they came out. You didn't even know if there was going to be another one necessarily when you were reading, like, say, the first book or the third book. Um, how many of you started watching the movies before the last movie was made? 
That, that's where, how I count myself in that, where, where, I, um, where I was watching those movies, and it just starts out with these, these little tiny kids. You know, if you look back at it now, it's kind of really funny and hilarious uh, to, to watch, you know, Harry and, and Hermione and Ron and, and Hermione correcting Ron. You know, it's, it's, it's not Leviosa, it's Leviosa, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, and it's a kid's movie, right? Well, if you look at the progression, one story to the next story to the next story, it eventually comes to the end, to the conclusion that's been building all along. And what an end it was. It built up to an epic battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil. This was the ultimate battle between life and death. So every story, every book played a part. It built up toward that conclusion. It wasn't simply the end. Of course, it was in the series. But it was the conclusion, the culmination of everything. And now, it's really interesting, isn't it, to look back at those early movies and realize, Harry... You have no idea. Are you going to be up to it, little Harry Potter? But we know, don't we? We know how it turned out, and we know what the conclusion was. And if you don't know, go ahead and read the books. It's worth it. Watch the movies. I I actually... Uh, believe, this is my personal belief, that there's plenty of good old-fashioned Church of Scotland uh, worldview that that ends up in Harry Potter, with J.K. Rowling being a a Scottish woman who, uh, by good authority, from some of my friends uh, who are uh, pastors in the uh, Edinburgh, Scotland area, that she is no stranger to the Church of Scotland. Another thing, I want to lift up a, another way to look at a story and how the story changes uh, based on something that just happened yesterday uh, that was amazing. I, I went to seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and so when you spend a little bit of time in Louisville, Kentucky, you become a lifelong connoisseur of the Kentucky Derby, and uh, that happens the first Saturday of every May, and uh, I don't, other, I'm not into horse racing at all in, a, in my life, but Kentucky must uh, observe the Kentucky Derby. So Chris and I were watching the Kentucky Derby, and just the most amazing thing happened. Did anybody watch it? Okay, so, so leading up to the Kentucky Derby, there's just a, there's the favorites, and, and there's, there's all of these uh, world-renowned trainers and everything that, that are, you know, kind of uh, preparing and marching this, their, their horse toward the starting line uh, in, this, in this ongoing, like, never-ending uh, uh, broadcast that started like three hours before the race, and and then at the very end you learned that there's this okay one of the horses had to drop out, so there was a late fill-in that this this horse and it was uh, what was even the name of the horse do you remember? I can't even remember. Rich Strike, Rich Strike, yes. So anyway, and even I remember when they all got into to the starting gates. Rich Strike was the last one to get in, in the very last outside one. This one, the odds for this Rich Strike were 80 to 1. 
And as you're watching it, you, you're on the straightaway, uh, down the final stretch, and down the stretch they come, you saw this horse, 80 to 1, a late fill-in, literally charge toward the finish and take over every horse like they were standing still and won the Kentucky Derby. Okay, so my point in that is, number one, always bet a few bucks on the farthest long shot. Okay? It's not going to cost you much, but hey, remember this year. No, that's not really it. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it totally, the end, the end of that story changes how we see it. I look back in my mind just thinking, I didn't even think there was any significance to that horse whatsoever. At the very end, just showing up, it's like, okay, get in the starting gate already because we got to get this show on the road. But now the whole story changes. The whole story of that horse, the owners, the trainers, the jockey, it changes because now we know the end. The Apostle Paul reminds us that there is an end and we need to keep it in mind. And the end that things are working toward, the culmination of all of the work of Christ is the total triumph of God. We begin to see the emergent theme of victory that will carry us through the end of chapter 15. But there's much more to say about it. But the important thing to recognize right now in this text today is that the victory is total. From verses 22 to 28, the Greek word for all is used ten times. In the English translation, we see it in the word all, but also in the word everything. It's the same word. Six alls plus four everythings equal a comprehensive victory. I'll just read a a portion. Then the end will come when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And it builds up to verse 28. So that God may be all in all. The destruction of all dominion, all authority, and all power is the destruction of that which destroys creation, allowing it to be fully, completely restored to God's good intention. Friends, this is God's work of salvation. So a lot of times we think that salvation is limited to just plucking God's people out of a hopeless situation. And just leaving evil to take over the world and have its day. That's not the Christian story. The Christian story is that we are moving toward the end when evil is defeated. This is where series like Harry Potter can be instructive for us. Because our story continues. The work of Christ, of salvation, is not finished yet. But someday it will be. Every sorrow, every grief, every injustice, every war, every flash of anger, every betrayal, every conspiracy, every tear.
I want you to try something, but you'll have to make sure that you don't accidentally hit the people next to you when you try this. So, and this is, so kids, I want you to do this too. I want you to, okay, I'm going to have to unbutton my coat for this. I want you to gently, if you're sitting next to someone, Mike, I know what you're going to try to do. Just watch out. Is stretch out your arms as far as they can go. I know we might be limited. It's early in the morning. We haven't stretched very much yet. Okay, so you're stretching out your arms. What I want you to do right now is I want you to, I want you to try to stretch your arms around the whole world now. Okay, think about the whole world and everything, all. Right then in that moment, we start to get the feel of the total triumph of God. And the total triumph of God's limitless love. Okay, you can get back to normal. You can get those wiggles out. Do we need any physical therapy work that we need to invite? Okay. Um, Thinking about those outstretched arms and that feeling of like when you just get to the very end of your ability to reach, it's at that moment that we get the feel of the comprehensiveness or the, the potential comprehensiveness of Jesus' victory. It calls to mind Jesus' arms stretched out on the cross, embracing a world in forgiving mercy. But Jesus' outstretched arms on the cross are also a foreshadowing of his comprehensive victory over the powers that will be the ultimate expression of God's eternal saving love. Eternal saving love. I'm going to mention a few beloved children's books, and I wonder if you have read these. Kids, you might have heard of these books before. The first one is, Guess How Much I Love You. Thumbs up? Yeah, yeah. So in Guess How Much I Love You, the main character is Little Nut Brown Hair. And Little Nut Brown Hair held on tight to Big Nut Brown Hair's long, floppy, rabbit ears and said, guess how much I love you. And Big Nut Brown Hair said, I'm not sure I could even imagine that. And then, and then Little Nut Brown Hair stretched out his arms as wide as they could go. And said, I love you this much. But Big Nut Brown Hair had even longer arms and said, but I love you this much. Hmm, that is a lot, thought Little Nut Brown Hair. That stretching of the arms to take in and just get a glimpse or a feel of the limitless nature of love. A similar book that you might have read, is Mama, Do You Love Me? Thumbs up again. I like that. All right. We're on to Mama, Do You Love Me? Uh, Now, a child is talking to her mother, curious about the limits of her mother's love. So instead of reaching out the arms to to kind of picture comprehensiveness, uh, this child thinks of comprehensively all of the things that she might do that would be the limit of love from her mother. That she would have stepped one step too far and her mother would say, nope, I don't love you anymore because you did that. So the child is thinking creatively outside the box. If I did this, would you still love me? 
she brings up the most outlandish behavior she can imagine. And the, the question is always, would you still love me? And the answer is yes. I still love you. Love beyond measure. Comprehensive. Total. Now I've held off talking specifically about the nature of the powers and dominions and authorities that Jesus is talking about here. Because I wanted to hold off for this third and final point to introduce this particular character. Um, because in a sense, what the text says about this particular character in the story helps us understand the nature of the dominion, powers, and authority. And what we learn by the introduction of this character is those powers and authorities are not good. They are up to no good. They are evil. Because we get to this verse 26, a declaration that the last enemy to be destroyed will be death itself. See, up until this point, the Apostle Paul has talked about death, but he's used a common word for dead, necros. But here we encounter a different word, thanatos. See, there's dead, and then there's death. In Greek, thanatos. Biblical scholar Gordon Fee describes it this way. Thanatos is death itself, the final enemy of God and God's sovereign purposes for the entire universe. In a sense, a new character has been introduced in this chapter. Indeed, it is the villain, the one behind all the suffering of humanity and creation. This is the first time in this chapter we encounter reference to Thanatos, but not the last. Christ's resurrection was a victory over death in the sense of death being unable to hold Jesus, to keep him from continued life. But see, there's a much larger dimension of victory that has been set in motion by Jesus' resurrection. And that is a total victory over death that will come when believers are raised. We're going to talk more specifically about the raising of believers, of those who belong to Christ, in the next sermon, two weeks from today, uh, because that's the next section in 1 Corinthians 15. But here, Paul is saying that death itself will be destroyed. Thinking that the defeat of death may actually be good news to think about on a Mother's Day. My mind is drawn to lyrics of a song by the band U2. And the lyrics are these. No one cries like a mother cries for peace on earth. Here's the full verse from the song, Peace on Earth. Jesus, can you take the time to throw a drowning man a line? Peace on earth. Tell the ones who hear no sound whose sons are living in the ground. Peace on earth. No whose or whys, no one cries like a mother cries for peace on earth. 
She never got to say goodbye to see the color in his eyes. Peace on earth. The image of a mother mourning for her child lost to war and violence is a reminder that death has not yet been fully defeated. And yet, it also stands as an emblem of an experience that will be no more when the God of life finally triumphs over death. Until then, those of us whose future is secured by Christ live as those who keep the end in mind. Knowing that Christ rising from the dead set in motion a sequence of stages that will result in life's ultimate and total defeat of death, we live as witnesses to the triumph, the total triumph of life.